Let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 10. We're working our way through the book of Acts. And uh, we've come to Acts chapter 10. And you know, um, we don't go at a steady pace. We just go at the pace that the Spirit of God kind of takes us. And we um, have been in chapter 10 for a little bit. This will be our third week in chapter 10, and I'll tell you right now, we're not going to finish chapter 10 today. We're going to look specifically at verses 34 through 38, Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 38. Acts chapter 10, this is where Peter has been led to the house of Cornelius, Cornelius the Roman centurion. And Peter now has arrived at the house of Cornelius. He's heard the story of Cornelius, how Cornelius, while he was praying, had a vision, and the angel told him, send men to go get this man named Peter, the house of Simon a tanner in the city of Joppa. And Cornelius did that. And at the very same time, this is happening, and Cornelius has sent his entourage to get Peter. Peter's on the rooftop praying at noontime, and God gives Peter this vision, lowers this sheet in this vision, and says, Peter, kill and eat. Peter says, Lord, nothing unclean has ever touched my lips. And God says to Peter, don't call anything common or unclean that I have called clean. And of course, all of this was leading up to Peter going to the house of these Gentiles and preaching the gospel. And this is where we've come to now in Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 34. So let's read these verses. Acts 30, 10, 34 through 38. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That word which you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Father, we thank you for the gospel of Christ. We thank you that the gospel is not hidden, it's not veiled, but Lord, it is out in the open for all to see, for all to hear, and you have commanded us to proclaim the gospel, and you have given us your Holy Spirit to empower us that our mouths would be opened and that the gospel would go forth. Father, we thank you that we have been given ears to hear. And we pray today, Lord, as you have given us ears to hear and mouths to speak. Lord, so let us speak. And we pray for all of the ears that would hear the gospel, that you would open those ears and open those hearts and open those minds to receive your gospel, that men would be saved. Father, we ask this for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Peter preaches to Cornelius and his household. 
And in verse 34, it says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Just as Peter did, just as Peter opened his mouth, the gospel requires that we open our mouth. The world wants us to shut our mouth. Have you noticed that? The world does not want to hear the gospel. The world doesn't want the church to preach the gospel. The world is doing everything to convince men, to convince the church that the gospel should not be preached as it is recorded in the scripture. That the good news of the Bible is really not good news that there's better news, there's a better way to interpret the Bible, there's a better message for us to preach. But that's not what we are commanded to do. We are commanded to preach the Word of God, the gospel of Christ. And Peter opened his mouth, and he proclaimed the gospel. And the gospel requires that we, just like Peter, open our mouths. The gospel commands that we not be conformed to this world, that we would not shut our mouths and keep quiet, but we would open our mouths and we would proclaim the gospel of Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. They cannot hear if we do not open our mouths. There is a reason why the Bible teaches us this. Faith comes by hearing in hearing by the word of God. And Paul goes on and he says, how can they hear if, we, if there is no preacher? And so we are commanded to preach because they are commanded to hear. And so we must open our mouths and we must preach so that ears can hear the word of God. So that faith can come to hearing ears. Open your mouth and let the truth come out. The scripture commands that we speak the truth in love. And that is not only how we are to speak, but why we are to speak. We open our mouth and we speak the truth in love for God. So when Paul writes in his letter to the Ephesians, speaking the truth in love, we always read that, and rightly so, that there is a way we are to speak the truth. We're not to speak it in a mean-spirited way. We're not to speak it in a cruel way. But sometimes we fall into thinking that if the truth offends people, then we've not spoken it in love. But the reality is, if we speak the truth, the truth cannot help but offend people. In fact, the truth is meant to offend people. Because unless the truth offends us, unless the truth causes us to stumble, then we don't know that we need the truth. And so speaking the truth in love is just not the tone or how we speak it. It's why we speak it. If we love God, we must speak the truth out of our love for God. If we love one another, if we love our family, our friends, those especially who do not know Christ, if we love them, then we must speak the truth in love for those who need Jesus. If we love our brothers, if we love our sisters, we need to speak the truth for the love of our brother and the love of our sister. Because just 
just because we have come to faith in Christ, just because you may count yourself a child of God, just because you are trusting in Jesus right now does not mean you do not need the truth because we all need the truth. And we are all susceptible to be deceived. And the truth is what sets us free. The the truth set us free from sin and death. And the truth keeps us free. And keeps us living in our truth. And in our freedom that's been given to us through Jesus Christ. So it's not only how we speak, but why we speak. And if we love, we will open our mouth and we will let the gospel come out. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. God shows no partiality. Jesus made this very clear. It's recorded for us in John 3.16, probably the most well-known Bible verse. But do we really understand what Jesus is saying here? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And Jesus speaking to his exclusively Jewish audience was telling these Jews, that God did not just send the Messiah for the Jews, but he sent the Messiah for the whole world. And here we see with Peter preaching the gospel to Cornelius, that which Jesus proclaimed in John 3.16 was being fulfilled right here before Peter. And Peter did not even realize what was happening until he is taken to the house of Cornelius. And he begins preaching the gospel. And he is soon to see that God not only sent Jesus to save the Jews, but he sent Jesus to save the world, to save Jew and Gentile. God sent Peter, the Jew, the Jewish apostle, to the house of Cornelius, the Gentile, the Roman centurion, to preach the gospel of the Jewish Messiah to a Gentile audience. Peter could not deny what God had done and the fact that God shows no partiality. The Lord revealed to Peter and to all that God will accept any man who fears God and trusts in Jesus. This was the truth that God revealed to Peter so that the gospel would be preached not only to Jews but to the entire world. This is how the gospel has come to us today. Peter wasn't thinking when he was on his way to the house of Cornelius that 2,000 years later there'd be a little congregation in Taylor, Texas listening to the gospel all because of his obedience to go to the house of this Roman centurion and preach the gospel. But that is exactly how we've come to be here today. It wasn't known to Peter. It wasn't known to Cornelius. But it was known to God. And this is the importance of our obedience today because you don't know how your obedience today will affect someone a year from now, 10 years from now, 100 years from now. You can't see that. You can't know that. But God absolutely does. Think of the miracle of how each and every one of us have come to be in this room together today.
It's really a miracle. I mean, some of us aren't even from the United States. Here's Sunette is from South Africa. Yet here she is in Taylor, Texas. Now, who would have known 40 years ago when she was living in South Africa that she'd be sitting in this room today? But God knew. And God arranged all the circumstances necessary to lead and guide her life, unknown to her. Sorry to use you as an example, but you're a great example. Unknown to her, to lead and guide her life. Unknown to her, to bring her to this very place. And cause her daughter to become my daughter-in-law. How blessed am I? And how blessed my son is. And to give me these grandchildren. I mean, who would have known? God knew. Who would have known when we sent our son off to St. Louis to go to Bible school that he would meet EJ and EJ and my son would get married and end up moving back here. I mean, who would have known? God knew. Much easier to see how my daughter went to the University of Texas and met her husband. And now, but, but do you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes we say, well, you know, yeah, I can see how that happened. Really, can you, though? How did we all get here? How did we all come together in this place? It was not by accident. You may think it was by chance. You might think it just the cosmic coincidence. But that is not how life works. That's not how this created order works works and it's easy for us to to rejoice in that it's easy for us to think of that and see that and to have a smile on our face when all the circumstances work out really good right but what we don't see is how all the circumstances didn't work out the way people wanted in every one of our lives in every one of our journeys to be where we are right now in this moment We can think of all the things that went right, but do you realize all the things that went wrong that caused your ancestors to redirect their course and their life? And God was working all of that together for good, for glory, and here you are today. And we only look at the good things. We only think about the good things because we don't like to think about the hard things and the bitter things. But God works both through the bitter and the sweet of his providence to bring us to the place that we are. This is why the Bible tells us to not despise the days of small beginnings. This is why the Bible tells us to walk by faith and not by sight. This is why the Bible teaches us that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord is with us. Leading us and guiding us to a higher ground, to a higher place, filled with light and filled with life. But when we're in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, when we're in the darkness, we can't see the light. We can't see the higher ground. We can only see the darkness around us and we're tempted to lose sight, to stop seeing by faith, and to begin to walk by the sight that we do not have. Every one of us are a miracle. 
The fact that each and every one of us are in this room today is, is a miracle we can't even comprehend because we can't begin to comprehend all of the things it took throughout the history of humanity just for us to be in this room today. So when you go out from this place today, know that God is using you. Know that God is leading you. Know that God is guiding you. Say, yeah, but Pastor Jeff, you know, I made a really bad mistake. You know, I, I really failed. Trust God with your failures. Because God has used failures throughout the history of his creation to bring about his plan and his purpose. And God has done that to give each and every one of us hope because there's not a single person that has ever lived on this earth or whoever will live on this earth that will not fail, that will not fall, that will not walk through darkness, that will not suffer hardship, that will not suffer greatly and experience great pain. And great loss. But in the midst of it all, God's promise is, I am with you. I will never leave you. What we can't see, God knows. God sees and God knows. And he tells us, don't walk by sight, but walk by faith. This is exactly what Peter did. This is exactly what Peter did when he went to the house of Cornelius. He was walking by faith because everything he was called to do was contrary to what he had been taught, contrary to everything he knew. But he also knew something. Even though this was contrary to everything he knew, he also knew that God had called him to walk to a place and to walk in a way that seemed foreign to him. This is the miracle. This is the good news. And Peter goes to the house of Cornelius and he opens his mouth and he says, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Whoever fears him, Whoever works righteousness is accepted by him. Or as Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't say might be saved. It says shall be saved. When we call on Jesus from a heart of faith, the promise is that God saves us. Well, how do we call on Jesus from a heart of faith? It's because God gives us new hearts. He gives us a heart to call upon him. Well, how does someone come to have that heart? Well, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The faith it takes to trust in Jesus comes by hearing the word of God. Do you see how important it is for us to open our mouth and to allow the gospel to come out because it is the gospel that is the power of God to salvation. The word which God sent to the children of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. This is what 
Paul, this is what Peter declared to Cornelius. He says, I perceive that in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. To the Jew first, but not only for the Jew, but for the whole world. Paul writes in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For the Jew first, because God first fulfilled the promise made to the people he had chosen and preserved all throughout human history. This is the promise of peace with God. That promise is not exclusively for the Jews, though it was preached to them first. The gospel is for the world, and we are testimony of that today. Through Peter, the promise of the gospel, the promise of salvation was made known to the Gentiles. God sent this gospel to the children of Israel, preaching peace with God through Jesus Christ. Now that promise was being preached to the Gentiles, revealing that God shows no partiality. Our peace with God is through Jesus Christ. Peace with God did not come through men, but through the man Christ Jesus. Peace with God was never meant to come from man's attempt to keep the law. God required far more from man than he was able to meet in himself. You do realize that. What God requires from us, we are unable to give from our own resources. And when God gave the law, he knew that man could not live up to the law. God gave the law and he gave the standard of his perfection. Jesus comes. He preaches the Sermon on the Mount. He doesn't lower the bar. He doesn't raise the bar. He just identifies right where the bar has always been. The Pharisees thought, well, we keep the law on the outside. They were really good at washing the outside of the cup. They were really good at whitewashing the tombs. But inside they were filthy. Inside they were filled with dead men's bones. And Jesus says, the law requires not that you just wash the outside, not that you just whitewash the outside, but the inside must be clean too. Moses said, I say to you, you shall not commit adultery. But I say, if a man even looks at a woman with lust in his heart, you have committed adultery. Moses said, thou shalt not murder. But I say to you, if you say to your brother, you fool, you have committed murder. And everyone was astonished. And everyone wondered, how can anyone be saved? When Jesus met the rich young ruler, and the rich young ruler said, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus gives him five commandments. And the young man said, all of those I have kept since my youth. And Jesus says, good for you. Now go and sell all that you have. Give all that you received to the poor and come and follow me. And the Bible says the young man went away sad because he had great possessions. And Jesus tells his disciples, it's easier for a rich man to go through the eye of a needle than it is for 
It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And after all that Jesus had said and preached and taught, and then they hear this, his disciples said, who then can be saved? What hope do we have? He kept the commandments. Not only that, but Jesus, you've, you've told us it's not just what we do on the outside, it's, it's who we are on the inside. What man can perfectly keep his thoughts pure? What man can perfectly tame his tongue and not say things he ought not to say to his brother or to his sister? And yet if we find ourselves guilty of these, Lord, you, you say we've broken the commandment. We've, we've committed murder and we become guilty before God. And now you tell this rich young man to go and sell all that he has and he goes away sorrowful and you tell us that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than it is for a rich man. A rich man who's kept the commandments. How can anyone be saved? And Jesus said, with man it is impossible. But with God, with God all things are possible. How can any of us be saved? We cannot be saved in ourselves. We cannot be saved by keeping the law. We can only be saved through Jesus Christ. To have peace with God is not just to be stress-free and chilled out. To have peace with God means that you are no longer the enemy of God. To have peace with God means that you are no longer at odds with your God, with your Creator. And before we come to faith in Jesus Christ, that is exactly what we are. We are at odds with our God, with our creator. And there is no peace between us and between God. And my attempt, my feeble attempt to keep the law, to do good, to be good, to be kind, to be loving, as loving and as kind and as good as I may be, I fall so far short, and there is no peace between me and God except through Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul declares. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. Our peace with God is through Jesus. It did not come through man. It came through the man, Jesus Christ. Where the first Adam failed and every other man after him, Jesus Christ, the last Adam, the second man, succeeded. Jesus, the Son of Man, walked in sinless perfection, fulfilling the just and righteous requirement of the law. Jesus did what no other man could do. He kept the law in sinless perfection and fulfilled all righteousness before his Father. This is why peace with God can come only through Jesus Christ. This is why our trusting in Jesus is important. We are prone to look at our failures, but I want to remind you that your greatest success does not merit you righteousness with God. 
any more than your worst failure can keep you apart from God's grace given to you in Jesus. The gospel is the message of peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. It is peace not only for all men, but for all creation. This is why the very creation groans, awaiting the manifestation of the sons of God. When we trust in Jesus, we can be assured that we have peace with God. And peace does not come because we are perfect. We have peace because Jesus is perfect. Like the man who cried out to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. God in his grace will help us in Christ if we have faith the size of a mustard seed. And that's very small. We can see the mountain of our sin moved by the grace of God. By his grace, he has planted the seed of faith in our heart. And through faith in Jesus, he has moved the mountain of our sin. He has taken away our sin. And our peace with God is found through Jesus Christ. And with the preaching of peace through Jesus is the declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Peter makes that a very clear, unmistakable message to this Roman centurion. Who had this Roman centurion pledged his allegiance to? Caesar. And when you pledged your allegiance to Caesar, do you know what the declaration was? Caesar is Lord. The emperor is Lord. Now, we don't get this living in 21st century America. But if you would have lived in 1st century Rome, the cry, Jesus is Lord, would have been understood to be extremely dangerous because in first century Rome, there was only one Lord, and it was Caesar. And to pledge allegiance to any other Lord, or to declare that there was any Lord above Caesar, was potentially a very dangerous thing. And Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells Cornelius, this Roman centurion, this Gentile, that there is peace with God only through Jesus Christ. And by the way, Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. The declaration of peace with God through Jesus Christ comes with this declaration that Jesus is Lord of all. And if Jesus is not Lord of all, then Jesus is not Lord at all. Because the Bible is very clear who he is. Jesus was very clear about who he is. Jesus never claimed to be one of many paths to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the only way you can come to the Father. But the world wants us to believe that there are many paths and many ways, and we are very narrow-minded, and thank God we are, because there is only one narrow way, and his name is Jesus. 
And narrow-mindedness from Jesus' perspective is a very good thing. But narrow-mindedness from the world's perspective is evil. It's wicked. It's intolerant. It means we don't love our neighbor. Yet Jesus said, no, the way you really love your neighbor is to tell them the truth. Is to tell them the way to life. In fact, if you leave your neighbor on the path to destruction and you don't warn him, you really don't love your neighbor. Do you see That what the world calls love is actually hate. It's kind of like calling a boy a girl. We say, well, you know, people can be what they want. We live in a time now where people can can identify and be anything they want to be. Will you keep living in that fantasy? Because that's exactly what it is, a fantasy. There's not 557 genders. I just had a conversation with someone last week. And they made the they made the comment, you know, supposedly there's like 557 genders. No. There's male and there's female. Well, what's between male and female? Nothing. It's male or it's female. It's light or it's dark. You're in Christ or you're not in Christ. You're in life or you are in death. The world wants to complicate it. The world wants to make it where we can decide. Not only what we are, but we can create God in the image we choose to create him in. There's a problem with that. And this is why Peter is declaring to Cornelius, Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. If Jesus is not Lord, there is no peace. If Jesus is not Lord, we have no peace with God. Jesus is Lord. This is the cry of the church. It has been the cry of the church ever since Jesus declared himself to be such. The declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord of all meant there could be no other lords above him, not even Caesar. The declaration that Jesus is Lord of all spoke not only of his earthly authority, but his heavenly authority. Jesus declared that all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. For those paying attention, the declaration that Jesus is Lord of all has not only, is not only spiritual, it is political, it is religious in its implications. That was true then and it still is today. If Jesus is Lord of all, and he is, there is no place for other lords or other kings except under his authority. The truth that Jesus is Lord of all applies in the house of worship, it applies in the house of government, it applies in your house, in my house, in every house. It is not that he must become Lord, it is the reality that he is Lord. 
It's not that Jesus must become Lord of your life. Sometimes I hear people say that. Well, Jesus needs to become the Lord of your life. No, listen, Jesus is the Lord of your life. You're either going to acknowledge him and be saved, or you're going to reject him and be cursed. He is Lord. It's not a question. We're not trying to make him Lord. He is Lord, period. King of kings and Lord of lords, this is the name inscribed on his robe and on his thigh. This is shown to us in the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the book we commonly call the book of Revelation. It's properly titled the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation 19.60, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It is very plain and very simple. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. He is Lord over kings and queens as well as presidents and parliaments. He is Lord over you. He's Lord over me. He is Lord whether we acknowledge him or whether we do not. Man's rebellion against God does not negate his lordship the sinful rebellion of man can never undo the lordship of Christ try as the world will to negate the lordship of Jesus to just reduce Jesus to some other figure in the history of man's feeble attempt to find a crutch the sinfulness the rebellion the rejection of man in this world can never diminish the lordship of Jesus. God has promised to work all things together for good to those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. And God accomplishes all of this under the lordship of Christ. I very often run into people who have experienced the worst of situations, accidents, tragedies, people trying to make sense of what's just happened to their loved one or to their family. And you realize the world is filled with such events. Well, how do we navigate that? This promise that God gives us that I just quoted from Romans 8, 28 is so important. But it's important to understand that promise is fulfilled under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We can't just go through life hoping that things work out. I'm famous for saying that. It's all going to work out. Listen, it's going to work out because there is a Lord of all. His name is Jesus. And under the Lordship of Jesus, he works all things together for good to those who love him. Do you love Jesus? You know how you came to love Jesus? The Bible tells us we love him because he first loved us. If you love Jesus, know it's because God first loved you. And if you love him... And you know, therefore, that he loved you first. You can know that you are called according to his purpose. So here's the promise to you, child of God. He will work all things together for good to those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. But he doesn't do that apart from the lordship of Jesus. Your trust in Jesus, your trust in his lordship is so important for you. 
to have peace of mind that in the midst of your darkness, in the midst of what you can't see, what you can't wrap your brain around, God knows. God sees. And God has given you a promise even though you can't see the end of it. He has given you a promise. And are you going to trust what you can see or are you going to trust what God has declared? I would encourage you to trust what God has declared. This declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord of all would eventually get the attention of Rome at the highest levels. It would eventually threaten the very fabric of the Roman Empire. As Peter preached to his Roman Gentile audience, those seeds were being planted. The declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord of all still threatens men and their empires today. The seeds of the gospel planted and watered continue to grow today. The kingdom of God continues to swallow up and to consume all other kingdoms. Known or unknown to Peter, he was sowing the very seeds that would bring the Roman Empire to its knees and eventually see the kingdom of our God and of our Christ swallow it up into the eternal plan and purpose of God. God was using Peter and Cornelius as he uses all of us to write his story and to fill the earth with the glorious gospel of the kingdom of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is Lord of all. In verse 37, Peter declares that word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. The word you know, which was proclaimed, the message of the kingdom and the coming Messiah was preached beginning in Galilee and throughout all Judea. The word of God and the message of Jesus crucified, Jesus buried, and Jesus raised again to life was not hidden in a corner. It was all done out in the open for all to see and for all to hear. The word Cornelius knew was the word Peter was preaching. Cornelius was seeking God, thus his devotion to God, his prayers to God, and his generous almsgiving. He was known to all the nation of the Jews as a devout man. That was his testimony given to Peter by others, even though he was a Gentile. That reputation indicates that he had some knowledge of the word that was sent to the children of Israel and proclaimed throughout all Judea. Along with the word Cornelius knew, the stir that Jesus caused in the land was no doubt known to such a Roman centurion charged with keeping the peace and protecting the interest of Rome. Anything that would potentially disrupt the peace or potentially threatens Rome's interest would have been known. The word that Cornelius knew is the same word we know today. It is the gospel. It is the word that indwells us and is illuminated in us by the Holy Spirit. The word we know must be the word we make known. This is the good news that must be lived and made known to those familiar and those unfamiliar people and places that God would lead us to. That word you know, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth 
As I told the children, Christ is not the last name of Jesus. It is his title. It means anointed. Jesus the Christ means Jesus the anointed. The gospel is the word proclaiming how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And this anointing of Jesus is the same anointing that is given to us in Christ. As God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, so God anoints us in Christ. 1 John 2.20 says, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Verse 27 in the same chapter, <clears throat> But the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you. What is the anointing we have? It is the Holy Spirit. An anointing is not some gift we have. It's not some skill we have. It's not some ability to sing or play an instrument or, or do, you know, things with some degree of excellence or skill, that's not an anointing. The anointing in you can help you do those things, but the anointing is not what you can do. The anointing is who lives in you. The anointing is the Holy Spirit. You have an anointing from God, and His name is Holy Spirit. And He will lead you. He will teach you. You know all things. Not, not that you're omniscient like God, knowing all things, but the Holy Spirit will show you what is true and what is not true. Those little red flags, those little intuitions, those little things that you, you hear inside of you, that you sense inside of you, you should pay attention to those. Read your Bible, study the Word, and the more you put the Word into your heart, the more equipped you will be to hear the voice of the Spirit from the Word hidden inside of you. And God will show you, oh, I'm going to go this way, and that little voice inside will say, no, don't go that way. Well, I think I'm going to do this. You know, the Bible's not really clear on whether I can or can't do this. It's one of those ambiguous areas. But yet something inside of you says, no, don't do that. Learn to pay attention to those things. If you want God to speak to you, we always say this, read your Bible. This is how God will speak to you. But David said, Lord, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's not that you're waiting to hear some mystical voice from out here. It's the, it's the word hidden in your heart. It's the voice inside of you. It's the spirit inside of you that's leading you and guiding you. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Guess what? If you are in Jesus, he has anointed you also. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. If you are in Christ today, you have been anointed by God. You also have been sealed and given the Spirit in your heart as a guarantee. That means the same Spirit that was given to Jesus as a sign of His anointing. That same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the very same Spirit that dwells in you. And Paul writes, it will strengthen your mortal body. Strengthen it to do what? To do everything that God requires it to do. Strengthen it to open your mouth and proclaim the gospel. Strengthen it to walk in his way. Strengthen it to one day come out of a grave to glorious life 
and resurrection. That is the hope of resurrection. We have been raised spiritually with Christ already. One day, this mortality we call a body will put on immortality. Even if our bodies are in perfect health, they're still mortal. They're still decaying. We're just all in different states of that. You do realize that, right? The 88-year-old man is at a different place of mortality and decay than the 8-year-old boy or girl. But we're all headed in the same direction. We're all headed to resurrection. Resurrection to life and glory, or resurrection to death and judgment. One day in Christ, this mortality will put on immortality, this corruption will put on incorruption. When Christ returns, not all will be dead. He will return to a world filled with people. But all will be changed. This is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Sometimes people ask me, why do we have to die, Pastor Jeff? Well, here's your answer. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Your flesh and your blood has to be changed. It's either going to be changed by death, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord, or it's going to be changed when the trumpet sounds and in the twinkling of an eye, you will be changed. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall not all die, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed. Followed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. God's promise is ours as we have received his anointing. God has established us in Christ. God has sealed us and given to us the spirit as a guarantee. God has anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. And so God has anointed us in Jesus with the same Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit anoints us, it seals us, it strengthens our mortal bodies to overcome death, it leads us and guides us into all truth, it powerfully transforms us and conforms us to the very image of the glory of the Son of God. The Spirit fills us with power to give witness to Christ, to open our mouth and to live the gospel.
Just as Peter did with Cornelius and his household, we must do today. We must be willing and obedient to go. We must be willing and obedient to go to the familiar as well as to the unfamiliar. We must be willing and obedient to step out in faith and trust God, even when it is difficult to see what God is doing. God is faithful, so let us be faithful. When you step into the convenience store to buy a cup of coffee, know that you do not step there without purpose. When you step out of your car to fill it up with gas at the gas pump, you might not think anything is happening except I'm just getting gas, but you never know when God in his plan and in his purpose will interrupt your very mundane task to do what he has ordained to be done in that moment ordained it from before the foundations of the world. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. The good news is that God has anointed you in Christ with the same spirit and with the same power. Our going about doing good and healing all who are oppressed by the devil will look different than it did for Jesus. It could look the same, but God will determine that. We are not Jesus, but we have an anointing from God that is given to us in Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit just as Jesus did. He works differently in us, yet he works the same also. He works as he wills according to his plan and his purpose, not our own. There is, this is where our faith must keep walking in the knowledge of God and not in our ability to see. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Sometimes we say, I don't know what God is doing. I'm a chaplain. I've been a chaplain for 18 years. And I've had a lot of guys come through the chaplaincy. And this is something that very often is said. Well, I don't feel like we're doing anything. I went to a training last year. And the lady travels all over the world. And she made the statement She said, chaplains loiter with purpose. She's an FBI chaplain. She sometimes is just hanging out at a scene. And they'll say, Doc, what are you doing? She said, I'm loitering with purpose. You might not know what you're doing. You might not see a purpose in what you're doing and where you're at and what's happening. But I promise you, your presence in this world, your presence in life, God is using. Just when you think you've made no difference, just when you think my time here has been meaningless, God will reveal the meaning. He does it with chaplains all the time. Out of the blue, I'll have a police officer just tell me and recount a time when I was there, and I don't even remember being there. Because I didn't say anything, I didn't do anything, but unknown to me, that police officer saw me at a scene, and just my presence there without saying anything or doing anything was comforting to him. Don't ever think that God is not working in your life and through your life. Just because you can't see it, just because you can't discern it, doesn't mean anything because he is Lord of all and he knows and he has directed your steps to the very place you are and is using you in ways that you can't even see and maybe you'll never know until you meet him in glory. But know that God wastes nothing and God works always. 
in all things in ways we can see and ways we cannot see. As God was with Jesus, so God is with us. As Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, so let us do the same. For as God was with him, God has promised that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. That is his covenant with us. And each week we come to this table and we remember that covenant. We affirm that covenant. We come to the table to thank God for all he has given to us in Jesus Christ. To thank God for giving us Jesus and for giving us hearts that can receive his gift. So prepare your hearts. Prepare your minds. Prepare yourself to come to this table. Understand that you have not come here by yourself. You were brought here. You were led here by Jesus himself. He is the Lord of all. He's been Lord over your situations and circumstances before you ever knew of him. He has been Lord and is Lord over all things. And he has brought you to this place. You're not here by accident. Your worst circumstance, your worst nightmare may have brought you here. But you are not here by accident. You are here because he is Lord of all. And he is right now in every one of us working all things together for good. Because he loves us. And out of his love for us, he has given us a love for him. You have a purpose in Jesus. And that purpose is not contingent upon, not conditional upon you knowing it. You discerning in every moment of every day the fact that you are here. No, you have a purpose because you did not come into this world. You did not come into this life by accident. You were brought here by God for his plan, for his purpose, for his glory. Come to the table. Welcome to Jesus. Let's all stand. It's very often said we should live our lives with purpose. But if we really stop and think about it, very often, if not most often, we go about our business and we're not thinking about purpose. We're not thinking about our plan. We're not thinking about the long-term or short-term implications. I mean, sometimes, you know, our gas gauge is on empty and we just have to go get gas. Sometimes our water jugs are empty and we just need to go get water. Sometimes our cupboards are empty and we, we just need to go to the store and restock. And we don't do those things with some long-term plan or long-term vision. We don't go to HEB thinking, I wonder what purpose God has for me today at HEB. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. I'm saying we most likely don't do that. We just go and we're trying to make sure we don't forget the things that we need. We're trying to make sure we've got everything on the list that we need so that we don't get home and realize, oh, man, we needed milk and I forgot to get milk. Now I've got to go back to the store. That's the way we mostly live our lives in the mundane every day of life. But here's where we can take hope and rest assured that God is never 
just doing things because it needs to be done. God's not reacting to our need. God's not reacting to the things that are happening that, that we often react to. God doesn't change his plans because he sees a lack here or uh, an abundance here. God's not up in heaven putting out fires and reacting to our poor decisions or our good decisions. He is Lord of all. He is the creator of heaven and earth. He chose you and him before the foundation of the world. He's not reactive. He's proactive. He knows the beginning from the end and everything in between. And while you're just trying to make sure you got everything on your grocery list and you don't run out of gas before you get to the grocery store, God knows exactly where he's leading you. God knows exactly who's watching you. God knows exactly who's listening to you for good or for not. And God knows exactly how he's going to bring redemption in those situations that seem very bitter and very dark. And God knows how he's going to use you in ways that you never dreamed, that you never even could imagine. But yet you realize 15 years later, God did exactly that, and you didn't even know it. What I'm saying to you is that God is always working. God is always moving. He is the Lord of all. And we can put our faith and we can put our trust in him. And even when we're just going out reacting to life, we can have the assurance that God is ahead of us and he has a plan and he has a purpose even when we cannot see it. Be willing and be obedient even when God may direct you to people and places unfamiliar and uncomfortable to you. Be willing and be obedient when you are doing the most mundane daily tasks of life that you just do and you don't even have to think about. You have an anointing, the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that anointed Jesus for ministry and raised Him from the dead is the same Spirit that anoints you, that dwells within you. It strengthens you, not just in your mortal body, but it strengthens you in your mind and in your spirit, and it equips you, it empowers you to do His will, to go where He has directed you, even when you don't realize that He is the one directing you. Be obedient, be willing, trust him in all things. He is Lord of all. Amen.